Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. Can I guide you gently through the last show of the year, listeners? What a sad thing in some ways, but what a great thing as well. It's been a terrific year on many fronts, a fascinating year, and we're going to dig into that. We're also going to look forward to 2023 and see what's on the radar for then. And of course, wouldn't be the show without my co-host, Frank Washcook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Hasn't this year flown by? It really has. It really has. I mean, I know we say that every year, but um, this one really has. And it's uh, sort of the first year, I guess, we're not, we're not post-pandemic, but when things started getting back to normal and um, we started trying to recreate some sort of normality. So lots lots to chat about with an amazing guest to finish the year. We've got Mike Doyle. He's president and CEO of Ketchum, one of the biggest PR firms in the world. And uh, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm terrific. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate uh, I. I I'm uh, I'm sorry that you saved the least for last. Uh, oh come this, uh, on! Auspicious day. <laughs> Great to be here. I've enough of this false modesty. We you're in PR. <laughs> <laughs> born born to be so. I'm told. Great to be I was, here. I naively thought when I came to edit this title that people would be wanting to shout about themselves, and they do. But actually, most of the best PR goes on behind the scenes, doesn't it? Which uh, it took me yeah. a while to understand. So we'll chat to Mike, and then we'll get into some of the big stories of the week. PR Week uh, released its best places to work for 2022, so we'll talk about that. This Liver King scandal has really shone a spotlight on influencers, especially fitness influencers and health, and then the TikTok mental health disinformation. Big big topic for 2022, I think, and those stories really illustrate it well. Energy companies, well, they've been pushing back on regulators' claims about them greenwashing, so we'll dig into that. Dr. Keurig, Interesting client payment terms they have over there, which has been uh, highlighted by a pitch they're doing. VW has moved its agency account uh, away from Edelman to a new firm. So uh, we'll talk about that one. The usual roundup of people moves. And we'll talk about the World Cup again. I'm still in mourning from Saturday from England's defeat against France. But uh, the Cup continues, the finals on Sunday, and some uh, stories, sad sad and interesting stories from around the World Cup. Mike, let's start with you. How was 2022? You've been in the top job at Edel... Uh, God, what did I say there? Ketchum. Uh, <laughs> for two and a, two and a half years. Um, but you've been at Ketchum since, on and off since 1995. So you know the... The agency, the Omnicom agency, like the back of your hand. Sum up 2022 for us. Absolutely, uh, absolutely spectacular. And first of all, I I have to begin by thanking you all. The the, the day that we're recording this, to have uh, to have awakened to the news uh, now public that that you've named Ketchum one of the best places to work is uh, it, it it is a it is a gorgeous punctuation mark on probably one of the best years we've experienced uh, as an agency. I really appreciate it. And I can tell you that the, uh, the the applause and the excitement and the love is all over our virtual halls at this agency uh, for each other. Uh, it's a, it's an incredible recognition of the good people. That's of this our firm. pleasure, Mike. So and it's almost you. like we plan this stuff, isn't it? Having you it's on the show. It's <laughs> unbelievable. The, uh, the serendipity that, know, that you somehow create. It's just um, dumb you know, luck, we, we, mate. We've had a, we, we truly have had, I mean, listen, like, like, like any, like any firm, like any business, we've had, you know, days both glorious and gloomy, but, uh, but I can tell you that 22, uh, we will end, uh, calendar year 2022, um, having delivered, uh, more growth and, and, uh, stellar financial and business performance, uh, more than we have seen in actually uh, almost two decades of the agency's history. And actually, I can, I can quote my uh, my former chairman and uh, CEO, Rob Flaherty, who happens to know a thing or two about the books we've kept over those years. He does. Uh, chat, I chatted with him a couple of weeks ago and, and he validated that. So it's, it's been from a from business standpoint, we've experienced uh, record-breaking growth. What I am um, most proud of, though, uh, is is the the retention of our uh, top twenty global clients, uh, which has been exceptional, uh, terrific growth among them, uh, and then just you know I, I I 
end where I should have began, which is with our with our people. Um, you know, just a, a, a global network of of Ketchum talent, many of whom are tenured, as you rightly and and uh, appropriately pointed out in the piece about being the best place to work. But I think what I'm all I'm equally proud of people. A lot, a lot of good folks have, have found, as I have, a, a career at this firm, not just a job. But we've welcomed enormous amounts of, of folks to this agency in every corner, in every operation, people who have chosen Ketchum during you know, some of the most tumultuous times to be in this business, right? And so they've chosen Ketchum as a place that they believe they can be their most authentic selves and a, and a place to just do unbelievable work. And so... Uh, I am uh, I am ending this year. We are ending this year. So grateful to the clients that have chosen uh, Ketchum, uh, and truly, truly grateful for each other. This is uh, this has been one hell of a yeah, ride. Yeah, that's that's great to produce growth like that. Especially as last year, I mean, the whole industry did did pretty well. It did more than yeah. that. It did very well. So I'm you know I'm I'm not sure where Ketchum was on that spectrum, but most firms that we're talking to have done good growth this year on the back of a good year, which is always difficult to do and replicate. Maybe not quite as high in, in some cases. So what what is specifically driving it? Is it part of this whole trend that, you know, we talked about this, we've talked about this a lot of PR week, it seems like it's PR's time. It seems like the profession, the, what it offers, the value it's, it provides across so many different areas is now really being recognized at C-suites and amongst CEOs across the board. You know, I, I think something, first of all, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think something interesting happened. Um, for God, you and I have been around for an awfully long time, right? And and so, so many of the conversations began in, in prior years with a discussion about PR communications, earning the seat at the table, earning, earning our right into the room where it happens, right? Um, and... It, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert, but I, I look back at the earliest days, weeks and months of the pandemic. And, you know, the first call that the CEO made is, is you know, I think could, you could argue it went to the head of HR, the head of legal, head of operations. But but right up there was the chief communications officer, right, that the individual or individuals who were responsible for the not just the reputation of the organization, but the health and safety and well-being and humanity of the people that the that the organization employed, right? So we found clients that were either definitively in the seats that they'd maintained or welcomed into conversations that perhaps they hadn't been at at, a, at that level. And what I think is incredible, you know, we talk a lot here about sort of finding the the beauty and the burden of the past several years. I believe that. The, the the CCO, the people, the, the individuals who are who are leading the reputation, the 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 advocacy of the organization's brand, uh, we were invited in a different way with a different voice, and shame on all of us if we see that right. We've we've uh, call it a a beautiful aspect of a very challenging few years. Uh, we're seen in a different light, right? The organization looks at the communications leaders not just as individuals who are going to earn coverage, but people who are going to really tell the important stories to defend the reputation, to make sure that the C-suite, usually in which they're included, are actually doing right by the business, not just by media results, right? And so I think that there's never been a more important time for this practice. I would also argue, and I'll get off my soapbox, we are also living and working at a time in this profession where the 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 ability to collect, gather, analyze, and derive insights from data in our space has never been this accessible. It's never been this important. And finally, we are able to do it in a in a disproportionately important way. We used to we used to bank a lot on our gut and our instinct and our experience. 
we've got all of that, but now we can do it in a way that's backed by data. So I guess if I think, you know, people think of Ketchum, I suppose they think of great consumer work, you know, winning it at Cannes with Wendy's, Discover Puerto Rico, some brilliant creative ideas. But where, where are the other growth areas? You know, what are the other pieces? I know you launched this um, trauma um, yeah. informed consulting specialty. Uh, are you seeing, you know, what's driving that? Is, is, is there a big, we know employee engagement is more important than ever. How much is that uh, driving your growth? What are the other things beyond the sort of things we've always come to expect from Ketch and that, that are driving your growth? The three largest drivers of our growth in 2022 um, and of course, I, I'd love to give you statistics and data. Um, I, I'm a little, uh, a little hamstrung on that one, but I can tell you. Good old definitively, We love you. I, we do. We do. <laughs> we, we, uh, we serve at the pleasure. Uh, the three <laughs> biggest drivers of growth in this organization globally. Number one, uh, by leaps and bounds, uh, what is our specialty in employee engagement, uh, in helping clients sort the the uh, the employee value proposition that will be right for now and in the future, um, the incredible work led by uh, globally by Tamara Norman here in the U.S. market, who created this specialty in the earliest in the nascency of the pandemic, recognizing that there'd be an opportunity. That was number one. Number two, issues in crisis. Um, in all its forms, right? And that ranges from, you know, major, major issues that I can't talk about where, uh, where clients came to us to really help them in, in precarious ways to the work that we're doing in, um, in navigating uh, heady, heady issues like climate change, right? And all manner of ESG communications. And so that was number two. And the third, Steve, is actually in influencer marketing, um, but I, I also point that out in response to what you're asking me. It's not just in the consumer space, right? We are really growing and uh, and building a strong business in things like um, B2B influencer engagement. And what does the world of influencer marketing look like in healthcare? Now, that's, that's hardly new, right? We've been talking to KOLs for years. But what does it need to look like now in today's heavily regulated environment? And what can influencer marketing, what lessons can we learn from more traditional consumer influencer marketing and expose our non-consumer facing B2B, healthcare, heavy tech? What can those organizations learn from influencers? So, if you think about that, I love that our credentials will still and deserve to, to rest on big consumer, unbelievable work like Cracker Jill for Frito-Lay and, and some of the beautiful campaigns we've done for the clients that you referenced. But employee engagement, issues in crisis management and influencer marketing and all this many forms. That's what drove our growth this year. Yeah, and we'll get on and talk a bit more about that when we cover the news stories. Um, you know, it's been a difficult year as well, both socially and economically, and with the febrile sort of civil discourse. And we saw the, uh, you know, egregious invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And clearly, Ketchum has a history with Russia. You gave up that account years ago, but you also shedded, like many businesses, you shedded all of your own docs in March. How difficult were those decisions to make? And just talk us through the thought processes there that you went through, like like many other CEOs. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy to do that. And, and uh, oof, you know, the, the, as, I, as I suspect others would say to you, um, or have, the decision to withdraw was not difficult. As the situation unfolded, it was very clear, as it was for brands that are, you know, 50 times the size of Ketchum, um, that that something needed to be done. Uh, I was very impressed by the uh, the level of humanity and pragmatic thought and intention that happened across Omnicom. You know, I I, I was included in conversations with other Omnicom CEOs about, and certainly OPRG, uh, to discuss this. Chris Foster beautifully led those, those conversations, and we thought about all of the right things. So the decision to withdraw was ultimately not difficult. But the humans who were impacted, that's where that's where it became incredibly tough. And so what I remember are the very long nights and early mornings speaking with our colleagues in, uh, in Russia, you know, and, and, and I say today, as I said back then, those individuals, those incredible people in our, it was in what was our Ketchum Moscow office, they were as much Ketchum waking up in Moscow 
as I was waking up in Manhattan this morning or someone that woke up in Raleigh, North Carolina, right? They were just as much Ketchum as we are. Um, but it was the right thing to do. It was it was the right thing, unfortunately, to do for the business. It was the right thing to do ultimately for them. There are, they will continue to be a thriving business in that market. But at the end of the day, the hardest moments were the ones that impacted the very good people that we know and have loved for years and are doing incredible work for clients, but just got caught up in a, um, in a, in a horrific, complicated acts against humanity. And, and it was ultimately the right call. Yeah, those are the sort of uh, hidden impacts that uh, you have to take into account when you're a senior leader. And yeah, it's none of these decisions are black and white, are they? But uh, essentially, sometimes you just got to go with that decision and and uh, and deal with the, those sort of consequences that do often impact people. It's a people-related business. Let's t- talking yeah. of people. Let's talk about yeah. your senior leadership. You know, you've had some changes over the year. You brought Jim Joseph in, who's uh, your, I think he's your US CEO now. Um, you said goodbye to Neera Chowdhury during the year. Where, where are you at with your leadership now? Do you, you, you know, after being there for two and a half years, is it? Have you got your sort of team in place that you that you want to take forward to twenty three? Uh, there's, you, you know, this, uh, just as well, uh, there, there's nothing quite like looking to the left and the right and, and, uh, in front of you and behind you and seeing people, uh, whom you trust, uh, who will push, who will, uh, who will, you know, disagree and debate and enjoy discourse, but ultimately get to the right decision for the business and for our people, for our clients. Um, and I will say to you that, uh, that this, this leadership team, my executive team is absolutely spectacular. Um, now I will also, so I'm going to talk about them in a second, but I will also say that we, you know, we have a couple things coming. I think you and I are going to be talking, uh, shortly after the first of the year, uh, Sounds and I'm excited good. about bringing some, uh, some new folks to the organization. One of the things, um, that I really, I really still believe, I genuinely believe that one of my biggest jobs as this agency's CEO is to, um, is to love the legacy that many of us have created after more than you know 10 years, 20 years plus, but to approach it with objectivity and to make sure that we're bringing in new people and new thinkers to be able to challenge what has been what has been Ketchum and make sure that we're designing to catch them for the future. Uh, Jim, you know, it's it talk about talk about a couple of examples. Jim Joseph, probably one of the most uh, seismically important leaders that that we've brought to this organization. This is a guy who chose to come to Ketchum after an incredible run with a lot of our um, a lot of agencies uh, that I respect, he has made an unbelievable impression. You know, Joanne Robertson now leads our global markets, all of the operations that exist outside of the U.S. So is Joanne going to be based in the U.S. at all? Someone we um, know very well from the U.K., but... Of course, yeah. She's she's spending a heck of a lot more time here in the U.S., partnering especially with Jim, really, as the two of them lead the the whole of the organization, right? Um she uh, she's a total powerhouse, absolute dynamite. Yeah. You know that, and yeah. and uh, so to have the two of them, um, you know, are it's just it is it is a gift, and and I I think most days I just have to stay the hell out of their way and make sure that that I support what they're doing, um, you know, and then Amanda Cal Canyon running our everything that has to do with our people around the organization. We are in the process of creating a new employee value proposition, something that. Something that I would I would say to you puts a little more tangibility and some more concrete in the foundation of what has typically been, wow, it's really great to work with Ketchum. There's something special at Ketchum, dot, dot, dot. But it's not just a feeling. It's got a little more tangibility to it. And Amanda's the architect of that. But then, you know, folks like Mary Elizabeth Germain, who runs our, our global data and analytics offer, she's been the architect of, of that unbelievable platform for us and, and industry defining a guy called Rob Bernstein that I think you know well, who is leading all of our global digital and social and commercial opportunities in that space, just a total powerhouse. So I'm, I could, I, I could, and I would love to just wax on about these, these folks, but I'd have to cut but, in if you did that. You, you, you <laughs> really would. What I will, uh, what I will also tell you that I'm, I'm especially proud of is a couple of promotions and appointments um, that we've made this year in service of our client experience and also our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so Alicia Solanke, our new head of client development in the UK operation, who also, by the way, leads and is integral, uh, integral in our service of DEI consulting in that space. Um, Maxine Nciso, who does that for us here in the US market, Corinne Gudovic, uh, who is leading our client experience here in the US market. So just 
really, really wonderful people, many of whom have been here for a while and have figured out how to carve new paths for themselves, but also a lot of new folks who have chosen Ketchum because they believe this is where they can be successful and, and really thrive as themselves. Sounds good. As we just to finish up, let's look forward to 2023. Um, it's, yeah. you know, it's uncertain, isn't it? Everyone's saying, are we going to have mm-hmm. a recession? Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to talk ourselves into it. We see some quite good economic outlooks, but obviously there's a lot of global geopolitical <laughs> plates shifting. Nobody really knows what's going on. We saw Edelman, which is a bellwether of the industry. It's the biggest firm in the world, you know, making uh, some, some little snips, uh, couple of weeks ago they got rid of a you know 130 people ish and um are you having to look at that sort of thing uh, around the edges of your business and uh, what do you see looking forward to 2023 you know um i appreciate the question I'll, I'll give you three answers um the first is that that we and by we i mean not just my executive team but our, our really our leaders across the organization are spending a lot of time right now doing some some scenario planning right if if this then, then what, right? Um, and uh, what we're trying to do is it's easy in these moments to be disillusioned. We're trying very hard to stay determined and to stay defiant about it and, and approach all of these things with a level of pragmatic confidence. Because um, who knows, right? I mean, you, with, with each passing day, you get different data and different opinions about where things are going to go. So we are doing a fair amount of that scenario planning. Interestingly, I'm seeing a lot of clients right now. I'd be curious to know if, uh, if you've seen this and talking to, to your network. A lot of clients are spending a lot of time thinking about their organizational structure. Do I have the right team in place? Is this the right operational model for that? And I, I support that, right? We're helping them through that. We're doing a lot of work in that regard, and that's great. What we're also trying to do with them, though, is to make sure that they're not just allowing an org chart to take the place of of actual human strategy, right? So think about what the org chart looks like, absolutely. But make sure you're also spending a lot of time thinking about the leadership behaviors that are going to be necessary to carry us through such a challenging and uncertain year. Make sure you're not just thinking about what the positions are that you need, but what the actual performance metrics are going to look like that you can hold people accountable to. And we're taking that advice ourselves, right? It's going to continue to be, this is going to continue to be a world in which in which our values have to drive the decisions that we're making as a as a business, and we're saying that to our clients. So spend as I would argue, spend as much time thinking about the leadership behaviors that we're going to need for the next year to eighteen months as we are what the org model looks like. Yeah, I think clients definitely want that senior counsel. Uh, they definitely want employee engagement counsel. I think even. Some clients are saying they find it difficult to find agencies to do that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's where presumably some of your opportunities are coming from that you were talking about. But uh, yeah. they definitely want more help with that. They're taking on stuff from HR, from legal, Absolutely. you know, because with this extra responsibility comes, you know, stuff gets thrown at you. And some of it is not necessarily stuff that they want thrown at them and uh, they need to be resourced properly as well. And then if they're not, they need agency help, you know, or partners to help them with it. So yeah, definitely. And then it it tends to be uh, sector by sector. We've seen technology, for example, you know, we've seen a lot of job cuts there now, whether that was just them taking a chance to reset, you know, a rebalance, who knows? Media, you know, my our industry has, has, has also suffered at the end of the year. So it tends to be industry to industry. But at the moment, uh, definitely healthcare consumer, you know, um, is, is holding up quite well and, and government affairs and public affairs. So, yeah, you know, look, touch wood, hopefully. And people need help at both ends of the spectrum, whether they're flying or whether they're facing issues. So, uh, you know, all of that is where PR now lives. So uh, continued good luck, Mike, in 2023. And we'll get your input into some of the stories we're going to chat about. Frank, before we start on that, what's your big sort of takeaways from 2022? And what are you seeing moving into 2023? Well, I think the economic um, outlook tends to be the most difficult thing to call, doesn't it? Uh, Because uh, now, now it seems like, and especially after this week in which um, you know there are government officials saying uh, inflation is not going to be as bad as they once feared, it does. It seems to be a bit more optimistic, and I think that that tends to be the big story, along with Twitter and uh, a few others going into early 2023. That um, not just us are keeping an eye on, but but just the broader business climate and everybody who who follows it are trying to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. 
let's talk about stories. We just released, as Mike said, Best Places to Work for 2022, and Ketchum was on there, but uh, so were uh, some other great firms and uh, companies. Tell us what were the top-line findings from your point of view. One thing I, I love about this feature every year is that it also uh, shines a spotlight on the smaller agencies and maybe some who, you know, don't get a lot of national ink a lot. And you have like Big Valley Marketing, which is in San Jose, so it highlights some out in the Valley. Curly Company in Washington. And, uh, you know, uh, firms like Miami, Florida's Ev Clay, which is an 82-year-old company, uh, which might not be on uh, people's radar nationally, but has a unique culture and their employees uh, really singing the praises of how it's run. So, um I always enjoy taking a look at some of these firms that, that, you know, might not get our attention as much, but are doing good work out there. Yeah, and you can always learn from those sort of firms. Mike, it's a bit different when you've got a big global organization. How do you sort of infuse that culture throughout an organization the size of Ketchum and, and still sort of become a, a place where people want to come and work? Because obviously it's a talent business and it's still super competitive, even if, you know, the, the whole sort of maybe the, the recruitment market's cooled a little bit, but it's still brutally competitive out there. Um, it, if I have the answer, <laughs> I, I have the answer. Um, you know, I think, and I, I love what Frank said. I, it, I love that you're celebrating some of the maybe maybe uh, sort of lesser seen firms that deserve that spotlight. You know, we, we do a couple of things, I guess, that would be in service of of that. One is when we bring folks into the organization, regardless of where you've been. Our talent team spends a lot of time on onboarding and not just, you know, like, you know, here's the finance system and, and here's the, the playbook for the client you're joining. There's the kitchen. We, we, yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. The restroom is to the left or, or you know, or this is your team's link because you're working from right. home for, yeah. uh, for the rest of the year. We spend a lot of time talking about their experiences. What did you love at your last firm that you might want to introduce to Ketchum? And so we, we do a lot of that work in the upfront to make sure that we we haven't lost the reason that we loved them in the first place, right? And and maybe tap into why they came to Ketchum. The second thing we do is we're, you know, you know, a lot of a lot of agencies are like this, right? We leaned in having already been a relatively flexible, uh, prioritizing flexibility as an organization. We leaned into that during the pandemic and we are incredibly nimble when it comes to putting people or, or, or giving them the opportunity to change accounts, to change industry sectors, to get replanted so that you can reinvent yourself after six, eight, 10, 12 months. And so ideally, we're uh, we're creating a, a career environment where the, uh, the reality of the attention span of a, of a typical colleague right now can be matched, right, with what the clients need and what the business needs, but ultimately what they can see as an opportunity. Yeah, we're doing a big chunk of content to start the year in January, and it's basically the, the headline of it is magnet, not mandate, right? It's a, a quote from um, Cisco's uh, CEO, and um, it really just investing or investigating all the different angles of that that phrase which really resonated with me so um yeah i hear you for sure frank let's talk about influencer marketing and uh, a couple of aspects we've been writing about this week this liver king scandal first of all talk us through that and then what it means for influencers generally especially in that fitness space and then there was there's been talk about disinformation and misinformation about mental health on tiktok so these are powerful channels aren't they and they can be very influential but they can also be very damaging if they're not uh, used in the right way that's definitely the truth um so one of the one of the great perks of this job is I get to learn about all of these unique people on the internet, and one of them is uh, Brian Johnson, who's known as Liver King. I did I did was not aware of Liver King before this. Not year. aware of his work. No, no, I wasn't. And um, his work is uh, he has um, he's forty five. Uh, he's uh, he appears to be in great shape, and he um, he says he got there through what he calls his nine ancestral tenants. Uh, which is described as a caveman ethos comprised of common sense knowledge such as uh, it's healthy to sleep well and get sunshine, as well as unconventional wisdom uh, and recommendations like eat animal balls instead of broccoli, which, I mean, he's welcome to do that. I'm not going to do that, but uh, you're welcome to it. Um, So, uh, shocker, he was uh, found to be using steroids. Um, No one could have seen that one coming. (laughs) And uh, deceiving men about the lifestyle that he uh, promotes. So um, as you might imagine, a lot of brands were working with him and he was making a lot of money. Um, 
he was a supposedly had a supplement and nutrition brand empire worth uh, $100 million. But now uh, I'm sure with complete shock, a lot of brands are finding they, they have to react to um, his admitted steroid use. Okay, so it's getting to the serious part of this, though, and there there is one. It, it does shine a light on the, you know, a lot of health influencers are not 100% on the up and up uh, in the things they're talking about or uh, might be promoting things a bit more than they should be. And a recent study on that found that 84% of videos on TikTok and, you know, look, footnote, Younger people, especially Gen Z, go to TikTok for news. They use it for as a search, search engine. Yeah. They use it for restaurant recommendations, all of, all of these different things. But they found that 84% of videos were, in fact, misleading uh, about healthcare misinformation. So this is this is really serious business. Um, I, I, I think it's it's got to be difficult for brands to stay on top of everything with these people that they, they work with. But, you know, I think especially when it comes to, you know, videos about bipolar disorder, uh, about ADHD, all, all of these different things that uh, this study by the virtual healthcare platform Plush Care found that uh, the videos are misleading about. I mean, I, I really think that brands have a responsibility to sort these things out before they, they reach out to these folks because some of these recommendations are a bit dangerous. Yeah, Mike, um, yeah, these are tremendously powerful platforms and, and can be game-changing from communications and branding point of view, but they need brands need help from agencies in making sure they're investing with credible people, don't they? How do you uh, do that at Ketchum? You know, it's a very important uh, role that you play in the, in the mix. It's incredible, right? When Frank was, Frank was walking through that, I just kept thinking, you know, what, what does this do to the concept of, of trust but verify, right? I mean, it, it, you, there, there's got to be, there's a step before that now that, that is, is an absolute mandate for an agency or a brand to take to, to validate, to, to, to um, you, the answer to your question, Steve, is we have um, very talented people, not infallible, right? As I say this. I, think, I don't I'm, think you uh, can be infallible, can you? you, you at no. some point, you're going to have an influencer make a, a mistake or, or, or deceive. 100%. You know, so. 100%. It's, it's too, th- there are too many, too yeah. many kinds, right? And, and it's, it's, too, uh, it, it's too complex and, and uh, vast a category of uh, people. But um, we, you've got to, we, we've introduced obviously platforms and, and a system of checks and balances where we, where we do our very best in service of clients. But, but my God, you know, it can't just be trust and verify. You've got to, you, you can't trust at the outset. You've got to make sure you verify first and, and check their past content, check for unusual. I, I, you know, you, I thought you covered this brilliantly earlier this week, check for unusual spikes in likes and follows make sure they're not either intentionally or inadvertently attracting and engaging bots i mean it's so it it has to be a level of rigor when you think about this space um that we maybe have not seen uh heretofore it's 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 incredible and and i will i will get on a soapbox does anything matter right now more than the mental health and well-being of of our people and of society and so shame on these people that are taking advantage of of that in in our most vulnerable state at our most vulnerable time as a society um that's a that's a that's unacceptable just completely unacceptable so I, i applaud you guys for covering it as much as you are um and i certainly take that as a call to action to make sure that my folks uh are doing even more than we might be now yeah, some egregious stuff going on out there. And the other thing, I guess, is to make sure you have a plan in place if things do go wrong to activate quickly and get and just get out of that, get the hell out of there and, and you know, um, 100%. get the brand 100%. away from this uh, negativity and, and, and just apologize if necessary. So, yeah, that's also the part of the crisis playbook. Frank, another big theme of this year is energy and, um, you know, fossil fuels. And there's been regulators uh, looking at this in terms of the energy industry in terms of the agencies that support them. And some of the energy companies were pushing back a little bit on the regulators' claims about them greenwashing. Talk us through that one. Yeah, this was a report from a House committee that came out on Friday, uh, the House Oversight Committee. And and it really directly criticized corporations, including Chevron, Exxon, Shell, BP, uh, and API, uh, for what they called inauthenticity in talking about their transition to clean energy. And there were some accusations of greenwashing, 
uh, and partnering with other companies to make them look like they were making a faster transition to green energy than they actually were. Now, um, it's important to point out no agencies were mentioned in the House committee report. We checked for that. So it's not calling out individual agencies like some activist groups have done. Uh, but instead, the, the the companies in this case. Um, so we talked to a few of the oil companies, and um, they really thought the House report was unfair. Not a surprise, but they really thought the the House report misrepresented uh, their position on climate science, uh, their position on their progress. And uh, you know, Shell's media manager for the U.S. and Brazil essentially said, "Look, you you failed to uncover an actual disinformation campaign." just basically saying we're not where you want us to be. Um, So this is going to be an ongoing topic, probably going to be fewer investigations, at least from the House side, as the House uh, flips to the Republicans at the start of the year. Uh, So maybe it won't be as much. But but this is something that I'm sure is going to continue to be on corporations' radar because this isn't going away. And even if it's not legislators driving it, it's going to be activist groups. So big topic for agencies and the clients they work with going forward. Yeah, not just activist groups, it's employees, isn't it? Mike, as a global CEO, I mean, I guess the argument for working with energy companies is to help them in that translation or transformation into uh, more green companies, and they need help with that. The argument for not working with it is partly because young staff especially just don't want to work with companies necessarily that have clients like that. So... Where do you stand on it, you know, as a, as a global CEO at Kepcham, you know, with lots of global operations? You know, I think it's a, it is, it's, it's the balance, right? And, and it's about, uh, it's about finding uh, territory where an organization like the ones that Frank mentions or, or others um, are, are given the ability to tell their stories, to speak credibly about the work, the important work that they're doing in service of change, in service of evolution of their own business model. Do it in a way that is, you know, that's that gives them a, a forum for credibility, a forum for authenticity, as long as they're making those commitments clear, as long as they're being transparent, as long as they're, you know, they're they're in service of progress, right? As you said. I think I think what's interesting, what I'll take away from that bit is you know, Frank, you mentioned the uh, the transition of um, the transition of, of authority, if you will, and and what will happen in after shortly after the first of the year. You know, isn't that going to apply to nearly every industry any of us serves? Right? The how can we elevate beyond the discourse? How can we elevate beyond what is now going to be? You think about twenty three and what's looming in twenty four. Um, it's going to be even more important for agencies like ours and publications like yours to make sure we're cutting through the crap and actually sorting out where the where the truth is and giving organizations a chance to do that in a way that is in service of their business and doesn't get caught up in the noise uh, that is going to be inevitable as we enter into the next couple of years of public discourse. Mike, um, do you see a time soon where energy clients will be like tobacco clients, for example, where it's just uh, it's a it's a no no? You just don't work with them. Uh, how close are we to that point, and how much are you getting? Uh, pressured from below, you know, it's from staffers to to sort of influence the type of clients that you work with as an organization. Well, listen, full disclosure, we we work in that space. We have a healthy business with uh, with some of those organizations, and it's in service of promoting their uh, their progress. It's in service of talking about them as an attractive employer. It's it's in a bunch of different categories, right? Um, I, I don't believe that we're at that place. I don't believe that we're at or, or approaching that tipping point. Um, what I will tell you is that the conversations we have inside Ketchum with our folks, some and, and what I what I actually love is that it's we, we, we create, we invite a forum where people can talk about how they feel, both as employee and activist, right? Um, that conversation is going to make our service to those businesses better because it will make sure that we're aligning our service to them with Ketchum's values and that we're, uh, and that we're doing it in a way where it's, it's informed by what they bring to the table. So we're actually, it's, it's our business to make sure we're seeing all the different perspectives, right? And I think folks that are employed by Ketchum that have, uh, have points of view that matter we're including them. We're including them in the conversations in the council we're giving to clients so that we're not appearing tone deaf 
to a lot of the stakeholders that those brands actually want to reach. Yep, and I'm sure that's going to be a continuing conversation in 2023. Another thing that will be frank is client payment terms and long a big topic amongst agency CEOs, I'm sure, about the uh, the amount of days that uh, clients take to pay them for their services. But it really came out came up again recently with Dr. Keurig, didn't it, which has put an RFP out there. And the, the, the payment terms there seemed somewhat egregious. But anyway, tell us all about it. So it's funny, I was researching this and um, I found an op-ed from PR Week with the headline, Prompt Payment is a Sign of Respect. And it was from September 2008. So this is this is clearly uh, something that's been around for a while. Could have been 1978, man. Yeah, yeah. And so it's back <laughs> in the news because Keurig Dr. Pepper's uh, payment terms are long. Uh, I think some people would say egregiously long. Um, well, it's almost a year, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? And, and, you know, uh, one person that was quoted in this article put it in a really interesting way of almost – looking to the agencies to be their own bank, you know, to do work for free and then self-finance that work until uh, the payment term comes up. Um, So I think one thing that really jumps out from this article is that this really has a negative effect on a lot of um, a lot of smaller firms, a lot of agencies owned by um, by, um, you know, diverse individuals who are underrepresented throughout the industry and um, it, it really puts them on unfair footing, footing unfavorable to them. Um, I think we could all agree, you know, a year is a, way too long. But I think this is going to shine a light going forward on, um, you know, what is an acceptable payment term? What kind of contracts should people be taking up, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, Mike, you've been around for, you know, more than a decade or two. And I'm sure this has been a topic over that time. Where Where are we at with it at the moment? I mean, it's a good point, actually. If you're trying to diversify your supply chain, you the small businesses can't, can't uh, sort of put up with a year-long uh, wait to get their money. But holding companies, uh, you know, they, they're not particularly happy about that either. And of course, with a holding company, especially on the media agency side, maybe there's another side of that coin where they, you know, they are acting as the bank and getting the the pass through and maybe making deals with media owners that through their heft with big clients that they can then, uh, you know, make more money with smaller clients. So there's two sides to every story, but so some this one seemed particularly egregious. Um, but what's your take on it? I think it's outrageous. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's outrageous. I, I, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Go back. This is almost a perfect bookend to the conversation that you led with in celebrating some of the some of the smaller or, or up and coming agencies that are incredible places to work. How could a brand like that possibly exist in a world where payment terms like that uh, are are even even tolerated, much less the norm? I think what I what I will confess to you, I took away from that. Um, and I, I listen. I say this I, with with full transparency. I, I don't I don't know the individuals involved. I, I can only appreciate there are a lot of sides to to every story. However, um, it read to me, or it seems to me, that it was uh, a statement about the necessary covenant that a client and an agency can try to enjoy. What what does a healthy level of mutual respect look like? And some of the some of the most challenging conversations we ever have at Ketchum, across the holding company, what have you, are with the good people that work in procurement or purchasing at some of these big brands, right? And I can tell you, when you are invited to show up in a conversations like like in a conversation like that, and there's a mutual amount of respect, and those folks understand that we are a business just as much as they are, you automatically get off on a different kind of footing, right? You automatically come to it with the business as a priority and not who won what percentage or got what rate reduction. So I, I, am, I am empathetic to those involved, uh, but I, it's, it's positively outrageous. I can tell you that um, I can tell you that that conversation would never have started uh, at this uh, at this good holding company that I'm pleased to work for. It's just it's outrageous. Would you uh, just not go and pitch for business like that? From it's just a no no from from you know point one that if if they're putting terms and conditions in place like that, then we're not we're not even going to go there. It's easy for me to say this in the hypothetical, right? But I think before I ever said that. I would want to know why, 
I would have to understand there's got to be something motivating that, right? There, there's got to be some catalyst that led to that, um, to that egregious uh, time frame. I'd, uh, the diagnoser in me would insist on understanding how the hell that all, that even that even started. What's the reason? And then I don't know. And then maybe we could get to a place that's uh, that's reasonable. Um, but I've got to believe that it is not being done with malicious intent. Uh, it's got to be it's got to be coming to the fore because of something else. And and the folks involved, I hope, would get to the bottom of that. That's what I want to do. And just lastly, on this one, PR firms are buying a lot more media now, especially digital mm. and social. Are you finding yep. that is changing the conversations with procurement because you're getting into you know areas where maybe media or creative firms have, have traditionally hung out, or digital firms rather than PR firms? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a it's a terrific opportunity for my own you know, financial partners inside our business partners inside the organization at Ketchum to, you know, we're, we're learning from some of the other Omnicom agencies on how to have those conversations. So it's, it's definitely changing the negotiations. It's changing the way that we're scoped. Uh, it's changing the way we're staffing business. It's, and it's, as I touch wood myself, uh, it's leading to some really great growth opportunities for the firm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole topic and uh, big topics this week. It's a good one to end the year, definitely. We always like an account move or a story, Frank. VW has moved its agency provisions out of Edelman. So tell us about that. Yes, agencies with the U.S. focus in this case for Volkswagen Group of America, which is a subsidiary of uh, the broader Volkswagen brand. Um, and they have brought on BPCM as their PRAOR in the U.S. They replace Edelman. Uh, the firm was picked this month after a long RFP process that started back in June. Uh, they're set to start work next month. Found it particularly interesting that uh, in the comments uh, from Volkswagen's uh, chief communications officer, they highlighted a lot of the electric cars. Uh, that they are going to be rolling out over the next couple of years. So clearly there's going to be an emphasis on that uh, in the years to come. And, um, and and the same from the agency, from BPCM. So uh, if you're not familiar with the firm, uh, they were established in 1999. They have 75 uh, employees in New York, Los Angeles, and London. Yeah, I wasn't particularly familiar with them, I must admit. But um, yeah, and it'd be interesting to know the story behind that one as well. But uh and, and why they moved away from Edelman. Edelman declined to comment for our story, so uh, we didn't get any insight from that one. And People Moves. On the move. Massive stories throughout the year. Frank, just round up the latest ones as we move to the end of 2022. Yes, and a reorganization here as Bentley Motors uh, Inc., which is their brand in the U.S., uh, they've promoted Aaron Bronner to Director of Communications and Brand Experience and Ryan Flynn to Director of Marketing, giving each of them oversight over those respective departments. Uh, they both replaced Jeff Kuhlman, who joined Charge Enterprises as CCO earlier this year. Charge Enterprises is a company that works to build vehicle recharging and telecommunications infrastructures. Tita Freeman, who we once was a newsmaker. She was. Uh, yeah, she was at the National Retail Federation, then went to the Business Roundtable. And she's, she was a big, big name in D.C. And it was good to see Tita back in the industry. Yeah, she is joining the consulting firm Prologue, uh, along with Lenny Alcivar. It's a D.C.-based firm, and they are expanding their offerings. They only launched in early 2021. So uh, she moves over there. VeriSign is welcoming back David McGuire. As chief communications officer, he left Comcast, but McGuire was previously VP and head of technology communications at Comcast, joined up in April 2020 there. And this marks the second time that McGuire has moved from Comcast to Verisign. Yeah, and let's finish on the World Cup. The Cup final is on December 18th, next Sunday. Obviously, I'm, I've lost interest a bit since England got knocked out, but I still love the World Cup. It's the greatest sporting event in the world, in my opinion. And uh, good luck to Tunisia and Croatia. That's all I'll say. But uh, as we're speaking... Sorry, Morocco. Morocco. As we're speaking before um, the games, the semifinals start. But uh, a couple of stories of note around it. Grant Wall, very sad. News. Yeah, it is. Uh, very well-known journalist, just... Uh, died suddenly while covering the, the, the tournament. Yeah, he had been having some health problems in Qatar, evidently. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's very controversial because his brother went to went on Instagram uh, almost immediately after finding out about his death and alleged there was foul play involved. Uh, and now the longer it goes on afterwards, it appears there was not. 
obviously we'll wait for the you know the investigation. Yeah, yeah, for the final. Yeah, statement. because he'd been stopped from going into a stadium yeah. because he was wearing an LGBT shirt, and um, obviously that's a, a big issue with have, have, holding this World Cup in Qatar. So, right. and then uh, a bit of a U.S. media relations snafu when the coach spoke at a conference and seemed to really sort of talk about things that maybe should have been left in the locker room. Yeah, and you know, really calling out um, a star player who didn't play a lot, Gio Reyna, who, um, by the way, I can say is, is is generally considered a model citizen for uh, for his club. Well, everyone was um, saying, why weren't they playing him? And, and this put this put a bit of light on it, but it, it didn't seem to be the right way to do things. Yeah, I, I having a speaking at a conference or speaking with any large group of people and just saying it's off the record and talking about something that's generally. Uh, you know, left among the members of the team is not a smart way of handling it, and it certainly makes you wonder if uh, if the coach believes he's on his way out. It, it, there has been speculation about that, hasn't it? Um, as uh, the US looks toward twenty twenty six, Mike, on this one, and um, you're you've long standing board member at Glad. The World Cup being held in Qatar and generally doing business in regions where you know basic human rights are. Um, just ridden roughshod over. What's what's your take on that as a global leader? Again, it's it's one of the things you've you have to address um, throughout the year. And this could this could be its own podcast, it could, it and, could. and uh, probably should be. Um, you know, I, I I will answer the question as it's posed. As a as a global leader, uh, I find uh, there is an almost, and I I suspect anyone who holds this business card would say the same thing. It is a daily. Uh, it is a daily effort to try to balance the needs of your own organization with the business and cultural context, but then also how you were, how you were built as a human. And I think if there's one thing I've learned in my two and a half years sitting in this chair, it is that you can never assume you know everything about every single one of those pillars. So it's a constant struggle and exercise in making sure that I and my leaders ask all the right questions to ultimately get to the to get to the answer. It's it's complicated. I um I recognize that I am a global CEO. I'm not just you know I'm not just Mike Doyle who gets to make decisions unilaterally. I've got to take a lot of data into account. Yeah, and good good luck with all of that, Mike. Moving into 2023, thank and thank you so much for joining us. Been a we ran ran a little long today, but it's the last show of the year, and lots of really important topics covered that I think sum up a lot of the issues of the year and the and issues we'll be talking about more in 2023. So I, no apologies for that. Just to finish off. Please do make sure you and your staffers take our salary survey so we can reflect the industry as fully as possible. We've still got some a few days to do that. Uh, Dashboard 25, the final deadline that, uh, for that is uh, coming up. Those are the key players in comms tech. We heard Mike talking about that earlier. Data and analytics right at the top of the funnel these days. Global awards, we're also looking at the final deadline for that in January. And our healthcare awards, the first deadline is coming up next week, 21st of December. So do have that on your radar. And finally, Women of Distinction, that's open for entries as well. You've got until January to do that. But lots to have on your radar for end of year or new year list. But that's all we've got time for. Thank you, listeners, so much for checking in with us over uh, 2022. It's been an extraordinary year. Thanks for your support. Hope the content has uh, helped you in your day today. And we look forward to, we're not finished for the year yet. We've got lots more to come, but we look forward to returning with the podcast early in 2023. Take care and we'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.